You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning. Thank you, Justin and Ben, for leading us into worship. And I just want to make sure we all know worship didn't end just now. We are still worshiping our Lord and our Savior. We are still uh, worshiping. We're going to worship through the Word. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, so if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles or your, turn on your devices, whatever you have, to Luke 15. Very, very familiar um, passage that any of you guys could come up and teach it this morning. I will say right off the bat, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. What am I doing here? I've asked that question many, many times over the last few weeks. What am I doing here? Because uh, I am not a preacher. So to our visitors and our guests, please do not judge our faith family by what you hear up here during these few minutes, okay? It's a lot better than this, I promise you that. Uh, as a matter of fact, and this thing is just not going to cooperate with me, I guess my ears are too big or too small, one or the other. Uh, I'm not a preacher, I'm not even a very good um, teacher, so forgive us. But this is why I'm up here today. And some of you relate to this and some of you will not. When I was a kid, way back in the dark ages, long, long time ago, all the kids in my neighborhood would meet at Ms. Watkins Field. And we would play whatever sport was in season. In the spring, and I'm about to throw it away, okay? Just so you know. <laughs> in the spring, we'd be playing baseball. In, in the spring and the summer, baseball. In the fall, would be football. And in the winter, we'd be playing basketball. And all the kids in the neighborhood would get together. And the two best athletes were captains. And they would... They would stand before the entire group of people and they would pick their teams. Okay? So the best athlete would get to pick the first guy. So he'd pick the next best athlete in the pool. And they'd go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until you got to that last one. You know who he was, right? He was the worst of the bunch. I'm the last one. Okay? That's why I'm up here. I was the last one available to pick, so that's why I'm here. But I'm confident that God's Word will speak to every one of us this morning. Even in a familiar passage, I pray that we will get a new, fresh touch and Word from God today. So just as we, uh, just as we begin, um, let me pray one more time, and then we'll dig into the Word. Heavenly Father, I love you. I praise you this morning. I do ask that you would touch me and anoint me. God, speak through me. I, I have nothing to tell these, these wonderful people that are gathered here today in-house and those online. I have nothing to tell them, but you have everything to tell them. Speak to us. Speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 15th chapter of Luke. It's uh, three parables Jesus gives us in the 15th chapter of Luke, and they all have one theme. If we were going to theme Luke 15, we could use three words. Lost, found, rejoice. 
That's the message that Jesus is giving us here in this chapter. Lost, found, and rejoice. Uh, and, and we're looking at a very familiar parable. We're going to begin, uh, talk from the 11th verse today. But what we want to do is we want to look at this parable, the parable of the prodigal son. We want to look at it in its proper context. And in this context, uh, we want to hear it from the original listener's ears, not from my, we don't want to pick it up and put it in 2021 and say this is what it means. We want to understand it the way they understood it, and by understanding it the way they understood this story, it'll speak stronger and more in depth to us. So Luke 15, before we get into the parable, let's go back to the first two verses of Luke 15, and we'll understand who Jesus is talking to. In 15, uh, the first verse of chapter 15, the Bible says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So in this crowd that is around Jesus, this crowd that is attracted to Jesus, we, we are identified with two different groups. Jesus is talking to one are those sinners and tax collectors. You know, we we're not the only ones that don't like tax collectors. They weren't very popular back in Jesus' day either. But and they were a special category of sinner all by themselves. And there's good reason, which we don't really have time to go into today. But he had the sinners and the tax collectors, and he had the Pharisees and the scribes. So he had the bad people. And he had the good people in this crowd that he is speaking to. He's got the saints and he's got the, the sinners in this crowd. And just in case you didn't know, as Matt Chandler points out, a pastor out in uh, Texas, the Pharisees are better than you and me. They're way better than you and me. Just in case you weren't aware of that. I mean, they give more. They serve more, they study more, they pray more, they tithe more, they do everything more. Matter of fact, they have the entirety of their Scripture memorized. We try to memorize a few verses. For God to love the world, maybe I've got that one down. They had the entirety of their Scripture memorized. They lived their lives. They structured their lives so that they adhered to every small little minute point of the law. Oh, they were the most religious. We could not out-religious the Pharisees. They were the creme de la creme. They were the top. They were the good in this crowd that Jesus is speaking about. <clears throat> but they've got a problem with this man, this Jesus. He is attracting these sinners He's not only attracting these sinners, but He is receiving these sinners. He's not turning them away. He's not running them off. Any good rabbi, any good prophet, any true man of God would not associate with these sinners and tax collectors. But Jesus is receiving them. And horror of horrors, He is eating with them. He is fellowshipping. 
He cannot be from God. Not this man. So these are the groups. The sinners, the tax collectors, and the Pharisees. And Jesus begins a story. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. So he introduces his story. There's a father with two sons. Three main characters that he's given us in this story. Many times when we read this, when we study this, when we teach this, when we preach this, we think that that youngest son, you know, the runaway, the prodigal, he's the focal point of this story. He's the main character in this story. And that may or may not be true. Let's, as we get into it, let's see if we can determine that. But we've got a man who has two sons. And understand this, this is the third parable in this chapter. And in every one of these parables, Jesus is answering the accusation of the Pharisees, because that's what it is. It's an accusation of the Pharisees. He is receiving sinners, and He is eating with them. He cannot be from God. So through these parables, He's answering these charges against Him. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. You know that parable also. A hundred sheep. One of them is lost. The shepherd leaves the 99. He goes and he searches until he finds that one lost sheep. And when he finds him, he throws him on his shoulder. He rejoices. He gets back and he calls all the friends and neighbors and everybody else says, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. And the second parable is a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one and she turns her house upside down until she finds that one lost silver coin, then she calls her neighbors and her friends, come rejoice with me, I have found my lost silver coin. Lost, found, rejoice. And so as that theme has kind of been established through those first two parables, you know these Pharisees, remember they're the good ones, they're the religious ones, They know that Jesus is not talking to them because they are not lost. Now those sinners and tax collectors, they are lost. But we are not lost. He is not talking to us. But there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there, he squandered his property in reckless living. The youngest of his sons comes to him and says, I want what's coming to me. I want my inheritance and I want it now. J.D. Greer, another pastor up in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina, points out that in, in what we see in this story that Jesus is telling us, we see three characteristics of this youngest son. And it also happens that those three characteristics are also three elements of sin. The first characteristic we see in this young son is he has a desire for independence. I won't. What's coming to me? I want my inheritance. Now, sin is a little three-letter word, S-I-N. The middle, the focal point is the letter I. And that is exactly where this young guy is. It's all about me. I. 
I'm tired of living under my father's rules and under his principles. I want to call my own shots. I want to do my own thing. I want to be in control. I know what's best for me. I, I, I want my independence. And what he's actually saying in that is, I want to be my own God. He's made an idol of self, this young man. I. He has a desire for independence. And he also has a desire for instant gratification. I want it and I want it now. In that day as in this day, most times if, if you were going to get an inheritance, you had to wait until the holder of that stuff passed away, passed on. So he has no patience. Now, we could pick this up and drop it right down in 2021, right? Because if there was an ever an impatient society, if there was ever a society that wants it and wants it now, it's us. How many of us, even in our prayer life, are impatient and want instant gratification? Even in our prayer life. God, this is what I want. And this, I need it by this Friday, if you can do it. I need it by this Friday. It's, you know, this is a, an instant need. I need it, and I need it now. Now, in some instances, and I do, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't point this out to step aside. Um, we have some members of our faith family that are in, in a desperate need for prayer this morning. We have, we have a family that has lost their, their leader, their patriarch, of, even of this church. We have uh, several members that are in desperate need of prayer, and they do need an instant touch of healing from God above. And that's not what we're talking about. They need that. So please be in prayer. And I won't start naming names because I'd probably miss some that also need prayer. So when you pray, be praying for members of our faith family who have loved ones that are desperately needing a touch from God this morning. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about in our prayers we're impatient. We're talking about anything and everything. And we want it, we want it in our timetable. We want to try to dictate to God the time frame of everything. He had a desire for instant gratification. I want my inheritance now. And he desires his father to be dead. Because that's what he's saying. When the young son looks at his father and he says, I want my inheritance and I want it now, he is telling his father, I wish you were dead. Because you see, the far country is calling this young man. The far country is promising him everything he's ever desired. It's promising him that independence. It's promising him that instant gratification. The far country is saying, this is where you need to be. Come on, it's alluring. It's seducing. And that's where he wants to be. And his father is in the way. His father is a barrier to him getting to the far country. Because that's where I should be. That's where I belong. 
the far country. His father is in the way of his freedom, in the way of his independence. He's a barrier. He doesn't hate his father. His father is just that barrier, that wall between him and the life he should be living. His life. His own life. So we see a self-centered, self-worshipping young man who truly has made an idol of self. He is his own God. That's the God that he is worshipping. And his father, displaying love, grants this request. Now you know, if you're a dad in this room, you know it had to hurt this dad to hear his son say these things. To in essence say, I'm, I want to, I want out from underneath you and I want out to make my own way. Now that happens, happens too quickly. Those of you that have little ones, hang on as long as you can because there is a time when they will leave. When you turn around one time, they'll be gone. But it, it had to hurt this dad. He had to be heartbroken at the attitude of his son. I'm done with you, dad. I'm finished with you. I want my own way. I'm going to call my own shots. So his dad gives it to him. And just in case there was any question, a few days later... He cashes in all the stuff. You see, what this, what this youngest son wants is he wants his dad's stuff. He just doesn't want his dad. He wants his dad's stuff. He just doesn't want his dad. And a few days after getting his inheritance, he liquidates, he cashes it in, and he's on his way. Where's he going? He's going to the far country. Because that's where he should be. That's where he belongs. The far country is, fall, is, is calling him. It's beckoning him. It is, it is alluring to him. That's where he wants to be. That's where he can be independent. That's where he can live his life. Now understand, this young man, when he, when he decides he wants to be independent, he just doesn't go across town. He doesn't move to the next village. He doesn't even pack up and move down to, let's say, Mobile area. No, he packs up and he goes all the way to Texas. Some of you in the room will get that, some of you won't. If you want to know what I'm meaning, you can come ask me afterwards. He wants to put a lot of distance between him and his father. That way he will be completely, completely out of reach of his father's influence. He's going to the far country. When he gets there, man, everything that the far country offered him, it was there. And he starts living. He's living life in the fast lane. And ain't nothing going to hold him back. His philosophy is eat, drink, and be merry because he's not even considering tomorrow. It's just about right here, right now, in this moment. That's all that I'm concerned about. He's, he's doing everything he ever wanted to do. Everything he ever desired. 
The Scripture says that he squandered all of his resources in reckless living. So he's spending, 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 spending. He's giving no thought of this money may run out at some point in time. You know, that happens. If you spend, 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 and you don't replenish, 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 it's going to run out. That happened one morning. He woke up. He got an email from the bank. Bank of the far country. And the email said, um, I hate to tell you this, but the checks you wrote the other day bounced. Now, I know some of you are not going to understand that statement either because you don't know what a check is. Let's just say he got an email from the bank and said, uh, you have insufficient funds. You've got nothing left in your bank account. It's all gone. It was as if this young man was an addict. Once he got into the far country and he was living his life, his best life, as he was living that life, and he was spending, spending, spending with no thought about tomorrow. No thought about, my money is going to dry up at some point in time if I keep spending like this. No, it's just about, what I've got this, well this is great, but hey look, that would be even greater, so I'm going to get that, and when he gets that, well, but this is alright, but whoa, look at that over there, and he's going after that over there, and it's the more he gets, the more he wants, and he's an addict, and he's got to have more, and more, and more, until it's gone. Everything's gone. He's lost it all in reckless living. And, and just so you'll know, a lot of times when we think of prodigal son, we think of a rebellious son, or we think of a runaway, which is what he is. But this is actually where we get the word prodigal. Prodigal means reckless. And that's what this young man was. He was reckless. And now he's lost it. He's lost it all. It's all gone. And as if things couldn't get worse, at that same time, a famine comes throughout the land. So now, he's got to think about getting a job. He wasn't thinking about it before, but now he's got to have something that's going to be able to uh, allow him to, to live, to put bread on the table, to pay his rent. He's got to worry about these things all of a sudden. But the famine comes through, and guess what? Nobody's hiring. Everybody's in this famine in the far country, so they are holding on to what they have because they don't know how long this thing is going to last. So he can't get a job. So he's lost all of his inheritance. He's lost all of his money. He's lost his friends. Now, you know he had a lot of friends when he was spending, 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 right? Buddy, he, he had a lot of people hanging around. They're all gone now. He's lost his lifestyle. He's lost his independence. He's bankrupt financially and spiritually. And he can't get a job. And this is what sin does. It promises, it promises, and it promises, but it leaves you bankrupt. Uh, there might be that small temporary moment of gratification, but in the end, you're bankrupt. 
In the end, you're in need. In the end, you're in the peak pen. John Piper. See, I'm not a preacher, so I've got to depend on all these other preachers for the good stuff, right? John Piper commenting on this says, When we break our attachment with God, we will end up attached to another. And that attachment will be slavery, not sonship. It may be drugs or alcohol or illicit sex or an employer or a spouse or a sport or a hobby or a television or a lake cabin or a computer or books. This attachment may be crude or it may be refined. If we break loose from God, we will be attached to another. And in the end, this alien attachment will send us to the swine trough either in this life or in the one to come. If we're not attached to God, we will attach ourselves to something. That's the way we were created. Life in the far country was not everything that this young man expected. He's bankrupt. He has nothing. He's lost it all. And now he is being forced into servanthood. Warren Worsby says he had to do for a stranger what he refused to do for his own father. 15th verse says, So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. There is nothing as low, as degrading to a young Jewish man as a pig. That's the dirtiest, filthiest. Why did God even create that animal and put it on this earth? It couldn't be any lower. And the only thing he can find, the only thing that he can get is spending his day in a stranger's pig pen feeding his pigs. And he was in such a desperate situation that he even was longing for the pods that the pigs ate to feed himself. So I guess we could say that at this point in time, he is even lower than the pigs. Because at least they have food. And he has nothing. And no one will give him Anything. He is lost. Lost. He thought he was going to the far country and find himself. Be himself. But what he's done is gone to the far country and he is lost. He's alone. He's desperate. He is hopeless. Then something happened. 17th verse, Luke 15. And, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In that pig pen, 
He came to Himself, Jesus says. <clears throat> so it kind of indicates that He kind of had not been Himself up until that point. But in this coming to Himself, He, he gets a true realization of who He is and what He is. And He admits that I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. And maybe for the first time in his life, he gets a true picture of who his father is. He wanted to get away from his father. He couldn't wait to get away from his father. He put distance between him and his father. But in the pig pen, he realized exactly who his father is. Kind. Passionate, loving, caring. And he decides, I'm not worthy to be a son, but his servants have bread to eat. He treats his servants well. I'll go to him and let him hire me as his servant. And at least I'll be able to eat. At least I'll be able to sustain my life. As it were. So he is truly repentant at this point in his life. He knows he's a sinner. He knows who he has sinned against. Notice who he says, I have sinned against heaven. My sin is against God and before my father. Yeah, it has affected his father, but his sin is against God. We saw that in David's confession of his sin with Bathsheba, even though you know, he murdered a friend to cover up that sin. But he says in that song, I have sinned against thee, and thee only have I sinned. Our sin is always against God. So he is repentant. He doesn't just have a change of mind, he has a change of his will. It's no longer about his independence. It's no longer about his gratification. It's no longer that his father is a barrier. Now his father is his hope. I will arise and I will go and I will say. Tony Evans, repentance doesn't mean just feeling sorry for what we've done. It involves action. It means moving back toward God. Humbly confessing our sin to Him and receiving His forgiveness and restoration. When we do these things, God welcomes us back to Himself, forgives our sin, and redeems what we've lost when we were away from Him. He's repentant, He's sorry for what He's done, and He's going to go back and confess to His Father. He, has, he, he is doing, He has done what so many other sons, maybe daughters, have done in the past when they had to go to their father after they've uh, been guilty of maybe some uh, something they shouldn't have been involved in, something they shouldn't have been involved in. Maybe they uh, were untruthful with their dad. You know, I never experienced this in my lifetime, but I have heard others, stories of others that have had to come up with a story to go before Dad. Dad, I know this is bad. I know it looks bad. Just let me, t let, just let me tell you. And they rehearsed the speech. 
rehearse that speech. This is why I'm late. See, I had a flat tire and I fixed it, and then I had another flat tire and I fixed that. Well, son, how many spare tires you got? Oh, I didn't think about that part of my story. Had to come up with a story to tell dad. He comes up with a story to tell his dad, but this is not just a story. He is a, this is a, this is a confession. And he rehearses it. You know he's rehearsing it all the way back to his father's house. He's going over his speech and going over his speech and rehearsing it as he goes back. And then the scene changes. 20th verse. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Here's the father. And, and you know, this is my interpretation, okay? I can see his father every single day going up on the roof of his house, getting to the highest point and looking down the road and thinking and praying today, 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 let today be the day my son comes home. Let today be that day. And he's up there every day. Looking. Looking. And longing. And hoping. And praying. Until one day he's up there and he sees a figure way off into the horizon. And there's something familiar about this figure. Maybe it's the way that they're walking. Maybe it's the way that they're carrying themselves. Whatever it is, he knows who that is. It's his son. That's my son. And then this father does something that's unthinkable. He ran. You see, the older you get, the less you run. I don't know if you're aware of that. But even for this father, being a man of position, and in his position, he would be wearing his robe. You can't run in a robe. So in order for him to run, he had to reach down and get the bottom of his robe and pull it up and put it in his belt. And let me tell you what, that just don't happen in this day. A man doesn't lift his robe and expose his legs. That is a disgrace. That is an abomination. That is shameful. You don't do it. He didn't care. That's his son. And he pulls that robe up and puts it in his belt, and he runs. Now, he could, according to the law and the custom, he could run to his son and grab him and take him to the city gate and call the elders of the, of the village and say, he's a rebellious son, stone him. That was the law. But what this dad does is he runs to him, way out where he is, and he embraces him. Kisses him. He stinks. He smells like the pigs. The only thing he owns is the clothes that he has on, and they're filthy and they're dirty, and his father embraces him. And kisses him. What a picture. What a picture. And in case you didn't know, he is the focal point in this story. The father. His unconditional love for this son. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against... He's, he's given his speech. 
He's doing a good job. He's rehearsed it well. I sinned against heaven and against before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but the Father wouldn't let him finish. The Father, 22nd verse, says to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. Not only did he not allow him to finish and ask, you know, just hire me as your servant. I want to be your slave, Dad. He didn't let him get to that point. He told his servants, bring the best robe. Now understand this, the son left none of his clothes behind. There was was nothing in his closet of his old room. He took it all. He was never intending to ever come back to his father's house. So whose robe is he wearing now? They went to daddy's closet and got the best robe. The robe that is for the, an honored guest. That's whose robe. He, he takes off that dirty, filthy clothes and he puts the best robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger. What's the significance of that? That's authority. You're not a servant in my house. You are my son. And shoes on his feet. He didn't even have shoes. Servants didn't have shoes. But the son has shoes. And he, in his father's arms, goes to the city gate. So there's going to be no stones on this day for this son as rebellious as he was. Kill the fattened calf. Celebrate. Lost. Found. Rejoice. And if the story ended right here, man, what a story it would be, right? What a picture of the Gospel this is. The lost is found and adopted back into the family. Let's rejoice. But there's still another son out there. There's still one more son. Now, the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked, what do these things mean? The the good son is doing exactly what the good son should do. He's been out in the field working. He's been working. Doing what he should be doing. But when he gets up to the house, there's a party going on. So he don't remember his dad telling him there's a party tonight at the house. So someone important must have just dropped in for them to kill the fattened calf and have a party. So he asks the servant, what's going on? Servant tells him, 27th verse, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And don't Look over that word. What was the accusation that the Pharisees were hurling at Jesus? He is receiving sinners and eating with them. What does the servant tell the older brother? Your father has received your brother back and killed the fattened calf. So they're eating. And this news hits this brother like a ton of bricks. You mean the rebel is back? The one who squandered... His inheritance, the one who's brought shame on my father and my family, he's back. 
28th verse, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. His reaction is anger. Anger. And the horror of horrors is his anger is directed at his father. 29th verse, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And in his outburst, we learn a lot from him. Piper points out. It sounds more like a slave-master relationship with his father. He says, I've served you. I've obeyed your commands. It's not like a father-son relationship, but a master-slave, a servant relationship. And then he, he tells his father, basically, you're just inconsiderate. You've never given me anything for my friends, and I'm the good one. I'm the one that measures up. If you had asked anyone out in the village, they would have told you he measured up. He's the good son. He's the loyal son. Not the other one. Not the rebel. But we see that his relationship with the father is broken also. Doesn't look like it is broken. But it is broken. It is broken. This son of yours, he's not my brother, he's not even your son this son of yours, he, I will not go in. Will not go in. And what he's doing is what a lot of people do. He was comparing himself. I'm better than they are. They're way worse than I am. Jesus in a parable in the 18th chapter of Luke kind of shows this. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Does that sound familiar? The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off in the shadows, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He's comparing himself between him and his son, and he can't see the sin in his life for pointing out and judging the sin in his brother's life. So when we look at these two brothers, they're not different. They are a lot alike. The dad says in the 31st and the final verse as we close out, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And notice that his father does express relationship, calls him son. Your brother. He tells him he was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. We have to celebrate. The father also exposes one other thing about this son here. 
You see, he's already divided the inheritance between the sons. The youngest son's already received his inheritance. He will receive nothing else from his father. Everything that is left belongs to the oldest son. So everything that the father spends celebrating his younger brother in his eyes, and in reality, I guess, is coming out of his back pocket. That should have been his fattened calf. This party should have been my party. This is my stuff. Because you see, just like his brother, he wanted his father's stuff. He just didn't really want his father because he's outside the house and he's refusing to go into his father's house. Just like his brother. Just like his brother. Two groups that Jesus is talking to. The sinners and the tax collectors and the Pharisees and the scribes. Matt Chandler points out the message for each in this story is to the sinners and the tax collectors, he's telling them, you have not gone too far. If any of us today relates to the young son, the prodigal son, receive that message, you haven't gone too far. The Father still loves you. He still loves you. He's watching. He's waiting. He's ready for you to return. When He sees you take that first step, He will run to you and embrace you and take off your filthy rags and put on a robe of righteousness. To the scribes and the Pharisees, the message is Jesus is begging them. As the Father begged the older son, Jesus is begging them to come join Him in the house and feast. Join me and feast. So for us this morning, here in the next couple of minutes, let's take inventory. Do we relate to either one of these brothers? Do we see any of ourselves in either one of them? Know this. Know this, that no matter which one of these sons we may be alike, our Heavenly Father is watching and waiting and longing for us to come back home. And when we make the first move to Him, He will run to us and embrace us and kiss us and restore us. And then, He will throw a celebration. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love You. I praise You today. I thank You that You are a loving, compassionate, merciful, graceful Father to us. God, I pray that each and every one of us would take a, a good, honest look at ourselves to see if, they were, if either one of these two brothers in any way resemble us. And if it is, I pray that we would truly repent and come back to You so that You could restore us as a son and a daughter in Your family. I praise You and I glorify You in the name of Your Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet 
and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.